Welcome to another edition of the Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 17. Everybody. On today's episode of the Maniverse Podcast, we talk with Wayne Middlestead. He's the owner of Dueling Grounds in Toronto, Canada. And today's episode focused more on the subtle points of what it means to become an entrepreneur, how it can change your life, but also how it can be one of the most difficult things you could probably ever do in a lot of cases. Most entrepreneurs encounter pretty life-changing obstacles. And what's interesting is that you find out a lot of the times that uh, once you get past it, Turns out it was a good thing. They help you grow. They prevent you from doing something that would have ruined your business in the first place. All kinds of advantages that you don't see ahead of time. And, uh, you know, in addition to all that great stuff of motivation and personal philosophy, we also talk about the technical details. We go into some great tools to build your business because Dueling Grounds has been open for 11 years and they've learned quite a bit. Wayne has figured out quite a few things and he's more than willing to share with you guys. So with that, let me introduce you to Wayne. Uh, Hey, I'm Wayne. I'm the owner of Dueling Grounds. Um, We'll be uh, open for 11 years this July. We opened 2004 uh, in July and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be on the show. Thank you, Tom, for having me. I've been listening to every single show since you started and I find it quite inspiring and I kind of wish there was one every day I could listen to at the beginning of my work. So I wish I could make one every day too, but uh, <laughs> it's just not that many gamester owners, but maybe we'll see what's what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, so uh, 11 years ago, why did you get into the game business? What? Why did you want to open Dueling Grounds in the first place? Yeah, well, I'd been a, a long-time gamer. Um, I was a, an art director at an advertising agency. That's what I went to school for and everything. So I, I, I went to school for what I wanted. I got the job I wanted. Um, I was well on my way to work myself up to senior art director, whatever. Uh, but I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand the office politics. I couldn't stand uh, everybody else wanted to be the art director. And uh, I gained a lot of weight sitting at a desk all day. And... I had a conversation with a friend uh, about where did I see myself in five years, and my answer right away was I wanted to open up my own advertising agency because uh, I knew I wanted to be my own boss. I knew I wanted to do that, and uh, but then I thought about it a little longer, and I, I said, you know, if, if I could do anything, anything, I'd, I'd open up a game store, and it just, you know, it just came to me like that's that's what I wanted to do, uh, and. Uh, kind of what inspired me to want to do that was uh, the game stores uh, here in Toronto were, you know, they're 11 years ago. It was quite a different scene and the stores were kind of grungy and um, not very organized and 
I thought, you know what, I could, I could do better. I could, I could open up a nicer store, and that's what I wanted to do. So, <clears throat> I uh, once that idea was in my head, it wouldn't leave, and I spent oh the next couple years um, preparing for it. I started using time in the uh, the studio, the advertising agency I was working at, to uh, work on the business. Um, I started. Uh, First with the name uh, Dueling Grounds, which is funny. It was originally supposed to be a uh, game shop slash coffee shop. That's the play on Dueling Grounds, Coffee Grounds. Mm. And little did I know I was way ahead of my time with that idea because there's game cafes all over the city now. It's, it's quite a trend. I mean, even uh, even 401 Games is now going to be putting in a cafe. Um, yeah, that's what the players want. Yeah, yeah, they want to be able to uh, eat and drink and play. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, uh, we started. I started uh, organizing events. I was a I was a big Magic player. I loved Magic. Magic was my game. Uh, started playing since '95. Uh, absolutely fell in love with the game. Was obsessed with the game. Um, uh, started. Going to four hundred and one games. That was my my hangout, um, and uh, got disqualified in my first standard tournament because I yeah. I didn't know what the, the ban restricted this was. I just showed up and wanted to play some magic and got disqualified. That's a good start. So yeah, but uh, <clears throat> I really enjoyed it. I uh, played Warhammer as well, Warhammer Fantasy, and Dungeons and Dragons, and. Those are my three big games, but anyways, I'm, I'm kind of going off track here. I uh, it's okay, it's your story. <laughs> it is. Um, so I started organizing large magic events uh, once I developed the logo uh, and the name. Uh, I had a, a, a big banner printed and built a website, and then started advertising these large. Magic tournaments. I rented out a, um, a hall in uh, in Toronto, um, and uh, it, it did okay. You know, um, I got the word out there about dueling grounds. Uh, people were like, "Oh, who's this guy?" You know, he's running tournaments and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, we got we got just over sixty players in our first tournament. Uh, you know, it wasn't I wasn't making any money. Um, I wasn't really expecting to. In my mind, it was a, an advertising campaign to get people uh, to recognize dueling grounds and associate it with magic. And we ran a, a few of those events <clears throat> over uh, over the years. And I also took uh, a, a small business course um, that uh, was offered by the city of Toronto. Uh, and I took an accounting course. Uh, just to get sort of the business side uh, under my belt because I'd, I'd never run a business before. And then uh, when I was ready, I let uh, other people know at the agency I was leaving. They were really happy for me, really supportive, and I just went for it. I, you know, I didn't even finish a business plan. I, I started working on one, and then I just, it, it was crazy. I just sort of went with my gut into this. I was just like, you know what? I can do this. I know I can do it better and I'm just going to do it. I, I know that I'm capable of doing it. 
Yeah, that's the good thing about going into something that you love, right? You're so immersed in it that it's almost instinctual a lot of the times that you you know exactly what you want because you you are your customer. Yeah, yeah, you are your customer. Um, although that can be a bit of a trap too, because you can think too much uh, too much about what you want, and what you like, and uh, forget about that other people have uh, other perceptions on what they like and. Yeah, that was a that was definitely a lesson I learned early on. But uh, so getting back to the opening of the store, uh-huh. uh, um, the the money I started with was uh, from selling a condo. Uh, I couldn't have a business and a home in Toronto, so I decided uh, to get rid of the home, get the business. And originally, I was going to purchase a uh, one of those buildings that was like a shop on the bottom and an apartment on the top mm-hmm. and, uh, and actually uh, like two days before moving in uh, the guy canceled the deal harsh and I, yeah I was virtually homeless and my broker I was working with he felt terrible he had a brother who had an apartment for rent so he, he got me all set up uh, on the completely other side of the city <clears throat> but that uh I didn't want to screw over the people that bought my condo. I thought that was pretty mean and awful. So I went through with my sale and took the hit. And, uh, yeah, that put me back about a year um, or so uh, with my plans. So I uh, that ended up being a really good thing uh, because later on I realized that if I sunk all my money into the building uh, – I wouldn't have had enough money to uh, keep the business alive, to live, to buy enough inventory. Hmm. So I dodged a bullet there then. I dodged a bullet. Yeah, I've had a lot of luck um, with the business, I have to say. And that was one of my first lucky breaks, which I thought was a terrible break at the time. But um, I realized afterwards, yeah, that was I did dodge a bullet. Hmm. So uh, eventually found a a spot that I could rent. It just happened to be across the street from the place I tried to buy. Um, so I got to look out and stare at the, the old bastard that screwed me over. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I fantasized a lot about, uh, doing things to him and, but never did. Just, you know, just thought about it. Just proved him wrong by being successful. Oh, I, he, he, I don't even think he was aware. He's like just old drunk and he was, uh, in his own world Um, no loss then no no loss at all so uh yeah i opened the shop um i didn't even have any counters i just put up some folding tables um some shelves in behind it and uh i remember when the cash register arrived i bought like this really nice cash register that you'd probably laugh at now you know it had an Mm -hmm. option to hook into a computer but it was like one of those old style ones um and uh but it's a good one i mean it's it's lasted this long and it's it's still working really well so uh and uh i didn't know how to use it i've never used a cash register before i've never done retail before in my life so uh someone had to show me how to use it and and how to just organize the receipts at the end of the day and 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 show me a system where they 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 had done working at a retail shop. So, uh, and you know, I had a lot of of help as well with, uh, some family 
helping to build some of the demo tables and display cabinet thing in the window and and yeah that's uh that's how we opened uh when i was when i was uh working on the uh the shop i, I guess it's I, I spent about two months from when i quit my job to opening and uh, that was a spent renovating the space i needed a lot of renovation i mean the <clears throat> the reason I picked it is because I had a, it had a ground floor that was roughly 950 square feet, and then it had a basement. And the basement looked horrible. I mean, the, the basic basement looked like uh, something from a third world country. And uh, I <laughs> I spent a lot of time there just ripping it uh, apart, emptying it, uh, making it as clean as possible, fresh coat of paint, and that was the game room. Although there were a couple uh, low spots in the ceiling where people could hit their head. It wasn't ideal, but for the rent I was paying, it was pretty good. Uh, it was located at uh, Dundas and Roncesvalles, west end of Toronto. I tried to I tried to open up in an area that wasn't too close to anybody, uh, but uh, it wasn't quite far enough for uh, for Leon. He, uh, he walked in one day, uh, uh, that's the owner of Harry T. He, uh, okay. at the time had um, Harry Tarantula West, which was up at Dundas and Keel, and he came in complaining that it opened up in his backyard. And I was like, oh, I didn't really think we we're that close, but and I how thought, close were you? Well, um, <clears throat> I would say be about a half hour walk. Uh, uh, I think it's far away enough to really justify it. Yeah, and no, I guess I'll, that's I'll, far away I'll, enough that no one's just gonna get up, walk to you, the other shop, and then come back. Yeah, I, I felt it was far enough away. We were right at a subway station. They were like north on Dundas, past Keel. Um, definitely a much more awkward location to get to. But you know, they had their their uh, their schools, their neighborhood. Um, it was funny too. Uh, uh, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing the story, but. Uh, you know, he, he walked in and he he, he uh, was like, "Wow, this, this place is really nice and clean." And I'm like, <clears throat> "Yeah," and I was quite proud of that because that was that was one of the reasons of why I wanted to open a shop. I wanted a nice, clean, organized store. And and then he he, he remarked that, uh, "Well, it's not going to stay that way." <laughs> <laughs> but no, I I uh, keeping a, a really neat, clean store was was really important to me. So it never did get dirty. And uh, proved him wrong. <laughs> oh, that's good. You were definitely the exception to most stories. Yeah, on well, if- I, yeah. I, I think uh, I definitely, you know, I, I came into uh, the, the Toronto market as, as definitely as an underdog. I had, had very little money compared to the other established stores. And uh, I, I knew I had to work harder and do something different. And, um, you know, that was definitely one of the things that made me stand out. People walked into my store and they didn't go ew or they didn't sneeze from all the dust or, you know, they appreciated how well organized everything was. And I'd like to think that I influenced um, other game stores to do the same. I kind of set a standard. And because um, after that, I mean, I I, I noticed uh, 401 Games, for example, they uh, they really stepped up, built new, new uh, cabinets, uh, their store started looking a lot nicer uh, years after that. So you set the bar. 
Well, yeah, yeah. I think I think I did because you know a new guy came into town and and uh, people started coming. So, what was your first year open like? You- that was pretty slow. It was pretty slow. Oh, and, and another part about uh, before I was setting up, um, I, I curtained the big front window with black curtains, and I just hung this really crazy metal, like an ornithopter. Um, a friend of mine made and I just hung it in the window and just put, you know, dueling grounds coming soon, July. And, uh, it got a lot of buzz cause people just were like, what the hell is this place? There's this weird sculpture hanging in the window. And, uh, that was, that was part of, I guess my marketing. It's an interesting way to pre-launch. Yeah. It was Not even open start to start getting people talking about you. Yeah. Well, the neighborhood at least, you know, a lot of people would walk by and go, what's this? What is that? Do you think that really gave you that head start? Sorry? Did that really give you a head start when you finally did open your doors? Uh, well, that was just a little thing I did for the local uh, neighborhood. But uh, that and the um, the last major tournament I did for Magic uh, before I opened the store, the uh, there was this door prize for what I called a super draft or a mega draft. And the idea – and eight people won this. And the idea is when I opened my store, those eight people would come to my store and play in this super draft. And it was it was a free draft, and the winner won a box. And that was another way I generated, I guess, a little bit of buzz and got some people into the store, and they checked it out. But, I mean, it was it was ridiculous. I mean, you walk in and, and literally, like, folding tables and shelves behind it, and not a lot of stock because I, I was just starting out, and I uh, didn't have a lot of money. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but it was okay. I mean, it was uh, you know, people showed up. Um and uh it just grew from there. Was it just you? Like you're the only one in the business at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, it's uh it it's I've always been sort of a one-man show. It's sole proprietorship. Uh just worked my butt off like I, I mentioned that I you know, I gained some weight sitting at a desk working the agency. Well, after I opened that business, I'd pounds. Uh, and, you know, that's probably the hardest I've ever worked in my life, getting that place ready. I had some help. I had some friends helping. Uh, and uh, I did have, I did hire a friend to start out with uh, who was really into magic. And uh, his name was Andrew Oyen. Have to give a shout out to him. He was uh, he was definitely key to my success as well. He was really in touch with the magic community in Toronto. Uh, he moved from Vancouver recently and uh, he's going to school. I I had met him. I'm like, hey, I'll give you a job and and yeah, he did a lot of work organizing my cards and uh, and bringing in players because he'd be out there in the community and be like, hey, come to the shop I work at. Yeah, that's funny. That's actually a name I recognize from MTG Ontario. Yeah, he's he's uh, a lot of people know who he is now, um, but yeah, he he definitely helped <clears throat> at the beginning. Okay, yeah. All right. So what what was your shop known for? What made your shop stand out? Well, uh, magic. I mean, I I, I kind of stuck to the games that I was into. Uh, magic was a big one. Uh, Versus had just come out, so and there's Versus was a there's a big hype. For that, so I, I I started doing singles for that right away. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon 
Um, those were already established games, not as uh, popular as they once were. I kind of missed that wave, but uh, still, I had to get in on that and uh, Warhammer Games Workshop, Warhammer stuff. Bought a lot of that. That was uh, that was a little disheartening when I started because I didn't realize what my money was going to purchase. Like I made my initial order for Warhammer and it came in. I thought I'd spent a lot of money and I, it came in. And I was like, wow, that's it? Mm-hmm. And then I had spent like three times that amount to uh, just make the wall look like it was full stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, yeah. I uh, sorry. Yeah, Games Workshop is a, not a cheap hobby. No, it's expensive. It's expensive. And I've had a very uh, long love-hate relationship with them. Um, they, so collectible card games and miniatures were my focus. Okay. And that was, it was, I felt like I had to be really, really focused too to get my, get my foot in the door in Toronto. Uh, because I did have a limited amount of money and I could only concentrate on a couple of things. And I, I would prefer, I went into this and I, I still believe in this. I'd rather do um, fewer games, but do them better, do them the best. Mm-hmm. Or be one of the best, anyways. Do you feel like you're the best at this point for something? Uh, oh yeah, for sure. Um, right now, and, and this kind of fluctuates and changes, uh, but we're we're definitely one of the biggest magic shops. Um, I wouldn't say we're the best; we're just one of the best options. Um, we have one of the biggest Yu-Gi-Oh collections, singles. Um, I'd say we are the best for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, we started trading in. Uh, out of print editions and stuff. So now we have an entire wall of first edition, second edition, three, 3.5, fourth, and now fifth, of course. Uh, we were always really big into the collectible miniatures. So um, we have the, uh, the D&D miniatures and now Pathfinder miniatures, of course. We have an inventory that uh, just is, is better than anybody's, I think. I don't think there's anybody in Southern Ontario that has the collection of miniatures that we do for D&D and Pathfinder, um, as well as the um, out-of-print Star Wars miniatures game. There's still people that buy into that hmm. because of the role-playing game. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, and currently right now, um, I, I think we're one of the go-to, if not the go-to places for Games Workshop downtown. Uh, and again, that uh, has to do with our recent um, investment in used stuff. We're allowing people to trade in their used Warhammer. And there are so many people that want to get rid of their Warhammer stuff. It's, it's crazy. And there are just as many people that want to purchase Warhammer stuff at half the price or less than what it is brand new. When they buy something new, they can strip it down, repaint it themselves, break it down for bids. Sometimes we get, actually a lot of times we get traded in stuff that uh, people haven't even opened up. Or put together or painted, um, just because you know that's a common thing for uh, miniature players. They buy more models than they can put together and paint because it's a lot easier to buy stuff than it is to sit down and spend you know ten to a hundred hours putting together a unit and painting it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting taking the model that Magic uses and applying it to Games Workshop as well, and the whole buy and sell single model, single card kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it started with uh, a guy selling off his D&D collection and trying to get rid of it. And I was like, you know what, this is a great opportunity for me to get into that. 
secondhand stuff. <clears throat> so I just sort of went for it. I, I mean, I've, I've run my business a lot on instinct, um, by the seat of my pants. <laughs> and, I, and that's why I say I've, I have gotten lucky a lot of times with things. And that was one of those things that took off. And, and I just eventually decided, why don't I expand this into Warhammer? Because uh, same thing happened. Some guy brought in a whole bunch of Warhammer they want to get rid of. And, and they want to get rid of it cheap. I, I've, I've even had people, before I even decided to use stuff, I mean, I had, I had one guy came in with a chest full of Warhammer. He's like, do you take this stuff, this used stuff? Do you buy it? I'm like, no. Because at the time we didn't. Mm-hmm. And he's like, here, just take it. He just wanted to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, I'm like, okay, fine, cool. And uh, just put it away. I didn't really think much of it. And who uh, knew years later that would be a, a major focus of my business. Yeah, it's interesting the way the future rolls out. It's yeah. hard, to, hard to know exactly what, how it's going to turn out it a is. couple of years from now. It's important to just go with the flow, adapt, find out what works. Yeah, especially if your customers are telling you, I want this. Please yeah. buy my things from me so I can buy other things from you. Yeah, oh, it's so important to listen to your customers. Uh, not that it's always right, but uh, I had another really lucky break, actually. I had a, a group, a large group of guys, like a, about a dozen guys who were really into Blood Bowl, and they were playing at my shop a lot. And uh, they were all really interested in uh, this new World War II game, that miniatures game that came out called Flames of War. And uh, I was like, okay, well, there's enough of you here that are really serious about buying into it. I'm going to bring it in for you. And I bought into it really large. Like, it was probably a bigger risk than I should have taken, considering that my cash flow is a lot more uh, restricted than I'd seen some of the other shops. But, uh, I, I went for it again. I just went for it, and uh, it established us as the Flames of War place to go um, for that game. Um, it really like it sold like crazy. They created a, a community. It was completely out of my hands. It's in the hands of the players. They just took up the game, loved it, and uh, yeah. But then again, uh, many many years later, just a, a couple years, two or three years ago. Same thing happened. Same group of guys, actually. Uh, and they wanted to get into this other game uh, that just come out called, uh, what was it? Dystopian Wars. And uh, it was like a steampunk, epic scale miniatures game. And steampunk was getting really hot and popular. So I thought, well, it's, it's a trendy, uh, trendy style of game and a bunch of guys want that stuff again. And I did the same thing, just went all in, bought a ton of the stuff, but it didn't sell. I mean, it sold, but it didn't, it didn't sell like the flames of war stuff did like some, you know, they picked up some stuff and it just, and then it just sat there on the, on the wall. And, uh, as time went on, I realized more and more, I'm like, Oh man, I got really lucky with the, lucky with the flames of war and not so lucky with this stuff. And now it's just sitting in boxes waiting for me to uh, eBay it. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think the difference was? What What was the key reason that Flames of War took off, whereas Dystopian Wars just sat on the shelf? I think Flames of War was just a better game. Um, and I think the amount of people interested in the game, uh, like a lot of, there's a lot of people in historicals. Uh, a lot of people love historical games. And Flames of War was the first one that created a 
first popular one anyways, that created a, a historical game that ran smoothly, that ran like Warhammer, but it was historical. Because before that, historical games, historical miniature games, historical board games even, there's a type of games that tend to go on for a really long time. Like you have to mm. play an entire day or sometimes you have to play over several days to figure stuff out. Um, and Flames of War came out with the historical game that played within a couple hours. And it was a good game, and I think that's it really appealed to people. So it was the merits of the game? Yeah, I, I think it's just it's a better game, and it stood out a lot more. It, I mean, this happened, gosh, eight years ago. It wasn't quite the same uh, noise of all these uh, products coming out as there is now. Like Now there's just so many Kickstarters uh, for so many different miniature games. Uh, it's really hard to uh, break through that noise. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of a too bad answer. I I would think that if it's the game itself, there's nothing you really there's not as much you can do about it. Whereas if, if you could really figure out what what was the reason, then you can plan ahead and be like, oh, this this specific indicator is uh, something that's going to say, yeah, this product's going to take off. I should go into that. It's too bad we can't figure that out. Yeah, that would really help a lot of people. If only we had crystal balls. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's go into something dark, just for fun. You've already mentioned that uh, Dystopian Wars kind of flopped for you a bit. Yeah. But uh, you've had 11 years of history with your store. Yeah. So I'm sure you've had a few rough patches. What's uh, what's the most difficult thing you've had happen with your store that you've overcome? Yeah, well, uh, this was <clears throat> another terrible event uh, that ended up being a silver lining. Uh, just like when I tried to buy the building and that fell through and then I found out while well, owning the building would have taken all my money and I wouldn't have survived as a business. Sort of the same lesson. Um, again, very lucky, but uh, my uh, my lease at my original location was a five and five. So after the first five, I had a right to renew another five. And I had a really great landlord she uh, she had taken over the building. Her her uh, father had passed away. Um, she wasn't a landlord. She was just the daughter of a of a guy who owned property, and, and she inherited it. And she was super nice, and she would do anything I needed that needed fixing up. And she's so easygoing, great, really good person. And then about uh, eleven months left in my first five five years, uh, this guy purchased the building. If she, you know, she didn't really want the responsibility anymore, and I don't blame her. And uh, yeah, he uh, he seemed nice at first, and then uh, we had some kind of weird conversations. You know, he was asking, "Well, so you want to stick around here?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'd love to stick around here. I love the space. You know, I worked really hard on it, especially the basement. Put a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears into this place, um, and we were doing well by that time. You know." Uh, we were established. People knew where we were, where we were. and um, but yeah, he he was just—I don't know. There was something about him. He he had this conversation with me, like, yeah, you know, he, he was a broker. He bought and sold uh, properties all the time. Uh, okay. And he was he was talking. Yeah, there's some was one place I bought. And they had a business, and it turned out they were selling drugs. And, and he would, his business was a front, and it was almost like he was insinuating I was 
Like, are you going to implicate yourself? Yeah. Like, like oh, yeah, I've got cocaine in the back room there. Oh. I know because he, he looked around the shop and he didn't understand it. Mm. You know, he was like, how do you how do you sell this stuff? He, he was very confused at uh, what it was who doing. possibly buys games? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, especially those kinds of games. I mean, there wasn't Monopoly in there. Yeah, <laughs> there wasn't something. even a chess set. So uh, he was, yeah, he couldn't quite figure it out. And, and uh, anyways, we, uh, I didn't think much of it. I thought, okay, the guy's just really square, whatever. Um, a little strange. And then uh, I knew my, my uh, next five months or my five, next five years was coming up that I could renew. So uh, I got in touch with him, and uh, he didn't even have a copy of the lease. So I gave him a copy of the lease, and I said, "Okay, I want to, uh, you know, like to meet and start discussing, negotiating my next five years." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, oh, great, great, yeah, thank you, thank you so much." You know, it was almost like he was distracted and busy with all these other properties, and and uh, he was like, "You know, thank you, thank you for bringing this to my attention." And then we uh, we got together, we met. He hadn't uh finished looking over the lease yet he wasn't prepared for the meeting um and uh we couldn't really talk numbers because he wasn't really prepared to and he said okay well let's 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 meet again let's uh let's meet in a another another week or so sorry you know i wasn't ready for this I'm like okay fine i didn't think much of it a week goes by a few weeks go by and you know a month and a half goes by and I'm I'm co- trying to contact them. I'm I'm you know anxious to get this next five years uh-huh. uh, worked out. <clears throat> and then uh, one day he just walks into the store, walks right into my office, and puts down a, a sheet of paper in front of me on my desk and go. And he just goes, "I'm I'm revoking your right to renew your your lease. Uh, I'm doubling your rent." And I'm charging you for back rent because you haven't been paying enough for the space. And apparently the lease was really open-ended. And, uh, yeah, because when I negotiated with the original owner, she was really laid back and I was really laid back. And I wasn't really too concerned about the terms of the lease. It seemed pretty decent. She was a decent person. But there was uh, a lot of loopholes in the lease. There was a lot of things that weren't covered, and he exploited them to the full extent and uh, tried to squeeze me as hard as he could. So um, at that, that sounds that like a prick. Point, sorry, he sounds like a prick. Oh, totally. The guy, yeah, the, the guy is like a psychopath or something. He had no emotion. So what did you do? <clears throat> well, I just I knew immediately that I had to get the hell out of there. Um, but I just said, oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm going to need some time to get this money for all this back rent you're looking for. And uh, then I started uh, preparing for a closing sale. Started looking for another property. Um, and then uh, he came back. Gosh, he came back uh, in um, like the day I was having my closing sale because he saw all the signs all over the windows and goes, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm like, well, I, I, I can't stay here. You know, the rent's going to be too high and I got to move on. And he's like, but you, you owe me money. You owe me all this money. And I'm like, well, I'll pay you. Don't worry. You know, <clears throat> but really I was just trying to get the hell out of there. Mm. And the guy just flipped out. He, uh, well, he didn't flip out 
like that moment. He was just like, okay, well, you know, I need a check by tomorrow or something. He made some sort of demand. I'm like, okay, okay, whatever. And then when the sale was over, uh, as soon as we closed, I had a whole bunch of friends come over to start tearing down the store. I just wanted to get out of there. Uh, and I guess he was kind of camped out across the street in a, in a, a bar watching and, and he saw us starting to pack things up and then he got a knock on the door and that's when he, he flipped out. He's like, what are you doing? Where are you going? You can't leave. You owe me money. Everything in this store is mine until you, until you pay what you owe me. And it's funny too, his, uh, his additional rent just happened to uh, come up to exactly an entire additional month's worth of rent. So it was almost like he was trying to squeeze one more month out of me. And I, I feel like he was trying to chase me out too, but just wanted to cover a month while uh, he had no tenant. So I'm like, well, no, you know what? I'm like, I'm sorry. We need to, uh, we need to get out of here. You know, you're being unreasonable. I'll get you your money. Don't worry about that. <clears throat> of course, he wasn't satisfied with it by that answer. And he literally waved down a cop who was driving by. And then um, before I knew it, there was like three cruisers, five or six cops. Um, he was going on about the situation and, and how he had, they had to stop me from, from leaving because I owed him money. And uh, so, you know, we talked over with the cops and, and the cops were like, this guy's a prick. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he like the cop, it was funny. Uh, he, he said, you know what, just, just write him a check. Just write him the check. So he's happy and he goes away. Okay, just just do it. And uh, and that's that was you know beyond the the jurisdiction of a cop. They should never have done that. You know they should never have said that. That's that's they don't have the authority to do that. They're not a judge. They're, you know. No, I couldn't force you to do anything. No, at that point. No, but I didn't. I didn't really know that. And I was like, well, I should just play along. I don't want to get into trouble or anything. So I, I wrote the check and then then he went away happy with his check and then uh, I got a as I was continuing to pack I got a phone call and it was the same voice of the cop who had talked to me and he's like this is your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man uh, I wouldn't I would uh, cancel that check if I were you alright have yourself a good night huh. and he hung up and I was like whoa okay and then <clears throat> but I had some friends there that were like advising me, well, I don't know if you do that, then he's going to start chasing you wherever you go. And you're never going to get rid of this guy. Um, if you just let him cash the check, then he's never going to bother you again. And that's what I decided to do. I decided to just let him have his money. And so I could just let go of that problem and, and, and focus on what I was doing. So, uh, it was a very stressful time for me. Um, Sounds like it. Yeah, I had. Uh, I basically gave myself a month to find another space because I needed to open up right away. I was so lucky; I had some friends who uh, let me store everything in their garage. Because uh-huh. um, you know, I, and and I had an apartment, and I I stored the rest that I couldn't fit in the garage in there. It was it was ridiculous because um, I you know I had to go somewhere, and I had to find a new spot, new store, and. That was, yeah, I was so stressed out. Like I I kept thinking I was going to have a heart attack. I thought this is the most stressed out I've been in my life. If I don't have a heart attack now, (laughs) I'm never going to have one. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
and you know, at the time I was only 35 ish, something like that. Later, mid thirties. Um, but still it's like that amount of stress, you know, it's, it's unhealthy. So, uh, but I found a place, uh, it turned out to be a much better location, uh, for the same amount of rent I was paying. Uh, the retail space was a little smaller and I didn't have an office. I had more of like a nook, not that I care. I don't need an office, but, um, the big thing though was the basement, the, uh, that, that was going to be the game room. It was beautiful. It was this huge, giant 1500 square foot rectangle shaped space with giant tall ceilings. And, uh, yeah, it's just, and the location was really good. I mean, it was surrounded by schools, by the subway still, um, still in the West End. I'd only moved maybe a, two subway stops east, so still fairly close to the neighborhood I was established in, uh, and right around the corner from the Dufferin Mall, which is a really big shopping destination. So, yeah, uh, I saw sales increase like 30% almost immediately. Nice. You yeah. have been lucky. So yeah, I have, and that was definitely another silver. Because I would, I wouldn't have moved if I didn't have to. Yeah, it turns just, out a lot I of just, the obstacles end up being something that makes your business stronger. And yeah, once you sure. get past it, right? It doesn't kill you; it makes you stronger for yeah, sure. That's cool. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Let's let's do the flip side. So you've talked about like one of the hardest times you've had in your business, which is pretty friggin' hard. Yeah. What's the What's the top end? What's your like biggest victory? What's the thing you're most proud of? Oh, wow. Um, <clears throat> maybe just the end result. I mean, what I've done. I mean, like I, 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 I keep saying that I was an underdog, and I, I feel like I have been my entire uh, 11 years. And uh, But I've, I've managed to... Uh, specialize enough that uh it differentiates myself um people want to come to my store for a variety of reasons uh worked so hard to get here and i just the satisfaction of having this shop and 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 then it runs successfully i mean there was there was even a year i took like a year off not literally off but there was a time in my life where I just needed some me time. I needed to, I got out of a serious relationship and I just needed to focus on myself and, you know, I was going through a lot of personal stuff and yeah, I just, I went to all these different festivals. I went to Burning Man. I, I, I went all over the, the place and just partied and had fun. And, and for the first time, uh, I, I put myself number one instead of the business and yeah, the business survived. I don't know. I, I guess it just it got to a point where it could carry itself. Mm-hmm. And I did I did the minimum to to maintain it to do the day to day business, but uh, really didn't pay as much attention as I should have. Um, and you know the the business did suffer because of that. But I was like, wow, I I got away with doing that, and the business still survived. Like I I've, I've really I've done something here created this this business that uh will persist at least you know at least for a year or so Mm -hmm. um 
But I mean, I, I guess you're looking for like a specific example. No, that, that's pretty yeah. good. Like, it's the first time someone's said the entirety of their history is something to be proud of, and it's totally true. Like, if today's your your high point, that's a great day, right? If every day keeps yeah. getting better and better. Yeah, I mean, I I uh, I have more passion for my business now than I've had in a long time. I mean, I had there's always that initial passion when you open a shop, and you're really driven by that. And, you know, with the fact that you need to survive, you need to make this work. There's no option. You can't, you can't not make this work or not uh, let it, you can't let it fail. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, um, the past uh, year or so, there's uh, been a lot of new stores opening up. And the competition has just gotten fierce, really fierce. Uh, you know, I'm up against shops that make very little on their product. They just sell it as cheap as possible. Um, I'm getting, I'm up against shops that are specializing even more than I am on some of the products. Um, and, uh, it really lit a fire under my ass. Cause I mean, you do this for a while, like over the years, your motivation sort of starts to wane, you know, you, uh, you're doing the same thing day after day. Complacency starts yeah. to creep in. Yeah, it's tough to keep mm-hmm. yourself motivated, but you know this competition really started to uh, get intense, and I had to do something. I had to either fight and survive, or or roll over and die. And I'm I'm a fighter, so you know it just it just got my blood going, um, and and got the fight back in me, got the passion back in me, and uh, yeah. I've I've been succeeding, and that success is further fueling my motivation, and it's been good. It's been really good, and you know what? And I have to. I know I already thanked you, but like just discovering your your podcasts and listening to other shop owners, and and these interviews you're doing, um, you know, it 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 made me realize, you know, I have a lot of pride in what I'm doing and, and hearing other people speak passionately about what they're doing. And, and, uh, because and, motivations, it's a really important thing. It, mm-hmm. And it's hard, it, re- it really is hard to maintain. So. I agree. Yeah. So I actually wanted to, we're kind of on the topic already, but yeah, how has the business, your store, how has it changed your life? Wow. Um, just, just completely. I mean, you know, it's funny. You, you go to school for something. You get the job you want. You, you know, you make it. And then you find out, well, this isn't as great as I thought it would be. You're not as happy as you thought you'd be. Because you're following all the societal pressure, like, you know, go to school, get a job, work. Um, but there has been nothing more uh, enjoyable, liberating for me than than taking on my own future and opening my own shop. And, uh, sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> that was a pretty good. Was, the question was, how has your store, how has your business changed your life? Changed my life. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, quality of life. Um, you know, I, I was making a lot of money and I had the potential of making a hell of a lot more if I just stayed with what I was doing Worked my way up the corporate ladder, you know. Mm-hmm. I had my site set up on creative director and then, you know, obviously owning my own agency. But 
uh, you know, I make a lot less money. Um, I work a lot harder for it, but the work is really satisfying. And your own, your own boss, I mean, you take the vacation time you want to take, you hire the people you want to hire. Um, you do things the way you want to do them. Although I have to say that sometimes you have to listen to other people and, and not just listen to what you think is, is right. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have some great employees. Uh, I worked very hard to get the staff that I have now. Uh, one guy, Sky, he is, he's been a friend for a long time. He was a friend before I opened the shop. He helped me to paint the original shop. And then, uh, eventually I hired him on and, and he's, uh, he's been my right hand man for almost 10 years now. Uh, someone I can completely trust, which is really, really important. And yeah, he's got my back. And, uh, then, you know, I got a couple other guys. I got three, three part-time employees. Um, the other two are Ben and Bjarni. Uh, they're both very good at what they do. They both have their own kind of specialty knowledge, which, you know, is really important to have that mix of knowledge because you can't know all the games yourself. At least I can. I can't spend that much time figuring out everything. Um, so uh, it's great, yeah, it's, it's a great feeling to staff your store the way you want to with people that you get along with. Um, really be in control of your environment. Um, being in charge, it feels good. It feels really good. I'm depend. I, I am responsible for my own destiny. I, I, you know, I, my job is recession-proof. <laughs> it really is. It's up to me. As long as I'm uh, fighting, as long as I'm surviving, then uh, I'm happy. I don't need a lot either. I really don't. I, I'm a very humble person as far as needing stuff. As long as I have, have a roof over my head, food in my belly, um, I'm happy. So, yeah. Sounds nice. Very satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. So this overlaps a little bit, but what does yeah. success in your business look like to you? Like, What does that mean? Because everyone's got a different definition, right? Yeah. Uh, success in my business. Um, the first thing that kind of jumped in my head when you asked that was uh, happy customers. Um, people that walk in the store, get excited about what they see, um, enjoy themselves in the game room. Uh, walk away happy, uh, seeing that community being built in the store. Yeah, yeah that's that's uh, that's a great thing. I like it. Yeah, nice. All right, let's uh, pull back a little bit. We'll go into a few more some some technical stuff, just some day to day details. Mm -hmm. Give a give some ideas. So, uh, how do you determine your prices? You sell magic cards right now, like so. How do you figure out what you want to sell these for? What yeah, tools well, do you magic, use? Uh, I mean, I, I use the Star City game prices converted to uh, Canadian, uh, and then adjust depending on market demand. Uh, now that when I was talking about, uh, sometimes you have to listen to other people. We had we had higher prices for a, a while. Um, we were more of a higher priced store for the magic singles. 
And, uh, and I think there was a, a time and place for that. Um, that time and place is, is long gone, obviously. But uh, um, at the time, you know, people knew that they could go to the higher end store, higher price store and find the cards they were looking for because they'd be sold out everywhere else. Um, but, uh, you know, my, I had actually, my, my staff, the guys working for me were like, listen, we need to, uh, we need to, to lower our prices if we want to remain competitive. That was really hard for me to do because we were already established as, uh, as, uh, someone that had higher prices and, and, uh, I was okay with that. I thought there was a place for a store like that, but it definitely, it wasn't like that anymore. Um, you know, every kid has a smartphone they look up at prices. They're like, well, why is it this price? Mm -hmm. The internet has kind of flattened things. Yeah, it's totally, uh, totally flattened the prices. So I, I still think there's added value for having card in hand in real life. Um, no risk of shipping errors or cards in condition that weren't quite up to what you wanted. Um, yeah, we uh, so yeah, Star City converted to Canadian with with market demand. You know, it might be a little more expensive because otherwise we can't keep them in stock, or they just, they're just selling out no matter what. Uh, but it's it's important for us um, to make sure the prices are fair, especially in the uh, this new incredibly competitive market, in Toronto. Mm -hmm. uh, so quite exploding in the last little while. Yeah. It's it's kind of ridiculous though, uh, you know, like putting sticker prices on your binders. Like we have every single we have sets of every single magic set every release. We have binders that take up an entire wall, and you know, going through and repricing things continuously is just so much work. And we go through so many um, price gun tape rolls. And I really look forward to the the time when there's digital paper and it's hooked up to the internet and the prices will just be like a ticker, you know, they'll just uh, change as they change in real time online or something because it's it's ridiculous. Like it's you know, most of the time people are like, oh, can you check this price? Can you check this price? Because they're more on top of the prices because mm -hmm. you know they're only after specific cards and we have to take care of an entire library of all the cards ever made. Um, so as hard as, as, as much as you try to keep on top of it, you, you can't. And, uh, so, I mean, I've even heard of places now that aren't pricing their cards and they're just looking them up as people want them. But I, I don't know if that really is, it makes a lot of sense, but, um, but I've, I've started looking up cards myself, like, when someone's buying them and I'm, I'm checking if they start checking prices, I start checking prices. And, uh, and also, you know, I tell them if you want to check a price, if it's higher, it's higher, you know, if it's lower, it's lower. Most of the time it's lower. Most of the time, uh, people get cards at, and we can't always look up cards cause sometimes we're really busy, right? Yeah. Most of, of the, most, most of the time what happens is, People come in and they buy cards and they get a great deal because we, we're not on top of the prices. We're not fast enough. Um, and uh, it's, it's quite a double standard because like if you um, go, oh, wait a minute, I think that card's gone up and, and has and you're like, well, it's this price now, you know, they get all upset. But at the same time, they expect 
uh, you to look up a card and lower the value for them on demand. Yeah. So it's it's tough. I mean, we we try to make sure everybody's happy and and um, you know do yeah. I, that's that's the main thing that the customer is happy. So yeah, but, it's it's kind of a it's kind of annoying, but it is pretty natural. We're 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 animals. We try and get as much for nothing as we can. Yeah. So you know, a customer will be encouraged to try and lower your price and then try and prevent you from raising it as well. But it can be frustrating being on the other end of that. And then the fact that, like you said, they can get upset if you're like, well, you know, the price has gone up. Sorry. Yeah. And, and like sometimes we tell them ahead of time, oh, we're updating that binder. Um, so just be aware we have to look up the prices. But like I'm telling you, 80 to 90% of the time the price goes down and, uh, you know, and they're happy. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but other than uh, I mean, I uh, I for my miniatures I use a, a few various sources because we we're huge into miniatures. Uh, the same way magic cards. I mean, there's collectible miniatures like the D and D miniatures and stuff, um, and uh, we use various sites for that. Uh, miniatures Market is one that we use. Um, we find that's a good good value to to base things on, um, and. Uh, Things that aren't collectible, we just, you know, regular MSRP. I believe uh, there's no reason to take a hit on the price of something. You know, we only get uh, a certain cut anyways, and I think we should get that cut unless we're having a sale, of course, or, or yeah. uh, they're cashing in some reward points or, or something when they get a discount. But other than that, I you know, I think people should pay. Um, the normal price normally, you know, it's not, it's just not our business model to, um, sell things discounted all the time because, uh, in order to do that, you need to purchase more inventory in order to do that. You need to have a much bigger cash flow, and there are businesses that can do that. They have a huge cash flow. Um, so they, they buy, you know, 20 of a board game where we might buy two and they just, turn them around a lot faster because they're charging a lot less and i just i i can't do that business model yeah it kind of takes a certain size and if you try it when you're too small it can just run you to the ground yeah and then once you go there you can't go back yeah no lowering lowering prices no problem raising prices is is an issue exactly yeah exactly so how do you manage your uh your magic inventory you mentioned you have a wall of binders is that it yeah and and we have a (laughs) And we have counters and shelves full of uh, monster boxes, cardboard boxes holding uh, cards. And uh, that's an actually growing problem because we have a finite amount of space. And, of course, there's four sets at least out a year for just magic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're right now um, running out of room where to put these boxes full of cards. And, um, you know, we'll figure it out. It's, it's, uh, I like the problem solve. But it's a it's a puzzle, you know. It's this Tetris puzzle that's never ending. It keeps leveling up, and there's no well, you can't fit it. Game over. You gotta just keep figuring it out. And uh, yeah, so. that's that's definitely one of the tougher things about accumulating magic cards is they do take up a lot of space. And like the yeah. more you have, the the more critical it is to have a, a system to find yeah. what you want. Especially full sets, like we can we keep everything like. We we sell every card from every set, so even the the crappy commons, we got a bunch 
not a bunch, but you know, mm-hmm. so we have to, we have to call the boxes down, like take excess commons out, store them downstairs. Um, we've combined sets into one box, uh, things like that. Um, but I mean, as far as organizing the cars, we're actually, I'm pretty proud of that. We're probably the most organized as far as our, our binder system goes. Every binder we have has a, uh, a complete set, um, in the binder, uh, like color copied mm-hmm. with an actual card on top of it. So there's like, there's a page this is with the card sleeves with the actual cards. We only keep one card in the binder. And then behind that is a color copy of that page with the prices on it. So, um, and we explain this to customers when they come in who haven't been there. It's, you know, you want a card, you ask for it, we'll get it for you from the boxes. We don't take the card out of the binder unless it's the last one. So when someone's looking through the binder, there's a card missing, you know, immediately they're out of stock. Um, it also helps with, you know, Five finger discounts. <laughs> we will notice a lot faster if a card's missing. Um, yeah, so um, quite proud of our binder system, uh, and we do not keep singles in a display case. We do not use our counter display case for cards because I believe personally that's a huge waste of uh, space. At least in my shop. I mean, I, I'm I'm pressed for space. Uh, I know it's a nice display. It looks good, but I have to use every square inch of my store for inventory. So my cabinet, my my display counter is full of dice, card sleeves, deck boxes, just product. Cool. That's exactly what I wanted to know. Mm-hmm. I like your idea of having a kind of a a display binder almost. Yeah, okay, I mean, you can flip through it to find what you want, and you can figure out the price that you know you're going to get it for. And then don't worry, I'll go get it. Go in the back, and I'll get it for you. Mm-hmm. And people can, uh, well, I don't have to go in the back; it's right there under the the counter of the boxes. But uh, and it's nice; people can just flip through an entire set and see all the cards, whether they're sold out or not. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So, uh, do you have do you use any other tools through oh, the course for- of your business, like uh, thinking <sighs> things like? Twitter, Facebook. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty low tech. Uh, I for inventory, you know, we we have a, a binder. Like when someone buys a board game, we have to turn to the board game section and write it out in pen. We don't have a, a point of sale system where you scan things. Um, I've avoided that because it, well, it's it's a little cost prohibitive. Um, and then once you have they have you locked in, you have a monthly fee, and if you don't pay it, then you out of luck sort of thing. So they sort of got you hmm. by the short hairs. Um, and I'm fine with just writing stuff down. I, mean, I don't mind that. But, uh, but yeah, social media, um, Facebook and Twitter. Twitter is actually pretty recent. I just uh, started that a, a few months ago. Um, and uh, I actually decided to start Twitter just because I was telling somebody, yeah, just check out our Facebook page. And they're like, oh, I don't have Facebook. Do you have Twitter? I was like, oh, wow, people, there's people out there that have Twitter that don't have Facebook. That's interesting. Yeah, so I was like, okay, well, I guess i got to start Twittering. And I, I, for the longest time, I resisted. I mean, I resisted having a cell phone for many, many years until I was like, okay, I just have to have one. Um, same with Twitter. I thought it was silly, all these tweets um, for, you know, all these people with attention deficit disorder <laughs> or whatever. Just have to keep Twittering out their thoughts. 
Yeah, I know what you mean. It took me a long time to get onto it too. Yeah, but you know, it's it's a necessary part of the social media mix. Uh, you need to be need to have an online presence. Um, you know, we have a website. Uh, one thing we don't do though, and this is something we're going to do in the future, is uh, we don't have an online store. It's completely completely been brick and mortar only. Uh, and the reason I haven't really moved into online is I don't online prices need to be cheaper. I don't want to have a, a two tier pricing system where you walk in the store. Uh, it's one price and you buy it online. It's another. Uh, and the online gaming market, in my opinion, is very oversaturated. There's so many of them. So, I'd be opening an online shop just for online presence. I'm not expecting a lot of sales, you know, whatever sales I get, great, but it would just be so that we're more visible on the net because that's where everybody goes to. You know, nobody uses yellow pages anymore. Nobody, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> yeah, 2015. It's quite a different age. It certainly is. Yeah, and that's also a pretty common thing from the people I've talked to so far anyways, that uh, having a brick and mortar store and an online shop, it kind of gives you this weird dilemma where you, to be competitive online, you need to lower your prices, but you don't necessarily want to do that in your shop because that's a bad thing. So yeah. it's just this weird balancing act between the two because you don't want to piss off any of your customers. You're like, oh, I can buy from your online store for less than I'm here. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, figuring out a solution to that, that can be tough. Yeah. Something that works for you and your customers, right? I'm not, I'm not too worried about online sales. I was never really worried about online uh, stores uh, hurting us too much because I believe what we sell is something that a lot of people want to see and touch. I think it's a very, you know, we sell tactile products. Um, and, uh, you know, the future of internet sales... Uh, I just see it as getting more and more expensive because I don't know if you've shipped anything lately, but mm. the cost of shipping things is just going up and up and up. And pretty soon it's going to be more expensive to buy online than it is in real life. I mean, that's a, a ways away, but we're getting there. Man, if competition keeps growing, that's generally what happens too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So if you had to pick one thing, that makes your business successful, what would be? Narrow down to a single item, single trait. Um, gosh. That can be a tough question. Yeah, for one, it's one thing, it's hard, because I believe it's a mix, you know? It's, it's, uh, you could say you. Several people <laughs> are like, well, it's sometimes a fair, a fair point. You know, without you, you said your store can suffer. Maybe yeah, you are the critical piece. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, a, I'm I am a one man show here, so yeah, I, I, me, sure, absolutely. Not to take anything away from my employees because I couldn't do it without them, um, and they're they're great, they're amazing. But uh, if I wasn't part of the equation, yeah, the business wouldn't survive. Um, so it's passion, passion for sure, the drive and the, de- the dedication that you bring to a. To your, well, your baby, your business. Yeah, you have to love what you do. And that shows. I mean, that people walk in, they see that you're passionate. And, and it's contagious. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's hard sometimes, you know, because sometimes you have a hard day. Sometimes you're not feeling good. Sometimes uh, you just don't want to deal with people. And sometimes being at a game store is like being the bartender that can't get away from some mm-hmm. drunk who won't shut up, except you're listening to some gamer who needs to talk to somebody and you, you got to listen to them and you, you know, you gotta, you gotta have a smile on your face. You gotta, you gotta treat everybody with respect and, and, uh, you know, cause bad word of mouth will, will kill you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it's a struggle. I mean, I, I've talked about the motivation, uh, and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this with you or not, but, um, <clears throat> I'm uh, I'm suffering from a kidney disease, and my kidney function is about twenty percent. So every day for me is is a bit of a struggle, hmm. and uh, it's been hard. It's it's been probably one of the the biggest challenges I've had in the, the most recent years because it's getting to a point where I'm getting close to uh, having to go to dialysis, and I need a kidney. So there's out there that's, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm O, o positive. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can find uh, one. <laughs> yeah. No, but actually my, uh, my, my sister's actually going through some tests to see if she could donate on my behalf and stuff. So it's, it's happening, but, um, you know, it doesn't matter if I don't feel up to doing stuff, you know, I have to do it anyways. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard to manage sometimes, but it's kind of scary too. It's like, you know, when you're this one man show and it's all up to you and your health starts to degrade. Wow. Hmm. You know, that's, that's a lot of eggs in one basket sort of thing. You have to really take care of yourself. And I know there's, uh, there's insurance out there that you can get, you know, you can get insurance, health insurance. I think that's something, uh, that's actually pretty important to get. Like if anything, and I, I don't even, I'm talking about this and I don't even have insurance, but yes. you know, in hindsight, man show, sorry. So in hindsight and I, yeah, if you're a one man show and you know, you get into an accident, something happens, whatever, and you're out of commission. Well, you know, you need, you need somehow to get by without you and, and, and insurance is a way that can assure that your business can continue even without you. So I think it's just uh, something that not a lot of people think about that they should probably consider if, uh, you know, if, 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 it's, if it is just a one man show kind of, kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. That's, that sounds like uh, not a good time. Well, you know, it's, it's, it could be worse. I'm, I, yeah. I, 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 uh, I can function well enough. I can get by. I can do my job, but I can also see a future where it's going to get really, really tough. If uh, you know, yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. You just have to. You have to persevere. All right. Yeah. If you could go back, mm-hmm. eleven years, another tough question. Start over from scratch. Would you do anything sure. differently? I do something differently. Um, wow. Well, that's kind of hard to. Without being like, stock up on black lotuses because they're only $10 at that point or something <laughs> like that. But 
Yeah. Like, is there anything structurally wise? Would you, uh, I don't know, would you have taken more time to pick a different location? Would you? No, you know, I did specialize differently. I don't know. I did a lot of preparation, even though I didn't do a business plan or I didn't finish it. Um, you know, I, I definitely thought about it a lot and I worked a lot of things out in my head and I probably overthought it. Um, but, uh, I felt pretty prepared going into it. Uh, I had a lot of confidence in myself. Um, having to get lucky a lot of the time. Um, I'd say, yeah. You could also say I would do everything the same. I would have, if uh, you've got no regrets. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I, I shouldn't have uh, invested in the dystopian wars, thinking that the same thing was just going to happen again, like the flames of war. You know, I, I should have uh, realized I had gotten lucky and uh, shouldn't have expected to get lucky again. Um, so I think, oh, you know what? I, I'd say overspending. Hmm. I'd say I would spend less because uh, it can get really easy to spend money. Especially when you have it, when you're going through a time of the year where you have lots of sales and there's, you know, everybody has their ups and downs throughout the year where they peak, they do the most sales and there's a slow time as well. And there's a, there's a whole pattern to it. Like we, we track our sales and, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say I would, would not spend as much as I, I spent when I was in the healthier months when I had more money. Um, because, uh, I, I think, uh, I think, and I'm, I'm still kind of struggling with that, but, uh, budgeting is so important. Budgeting your purchasing is so important. Um, I, I regret not budgeting myself more because I, I have overextended several times and, uh, you know, it, it just creates an obstacle for me to, to overcome. I, I get, I, you know, I hurt myself when I do that. Yeah, bite your ass. Yeah, especially when you go to like an open house, like a distributor will, will have an open house, they'll invite you over, have a barbecue, take you out for dinner, whatever. And then uh, then you just get carried away buying stuff, you know, they got discounts, they got specials, and then you, you walk away spending thousands more than you were expecting to spend, and you're like, oh crap, mm-hmm. I didn't even need this stuff, and now I've got it. Now I have to move it. Yeah. Yeah. All part of the business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell me what's coming up in the near future for uh, Dueling Grounds. What are your new exciting plans? Yeah, well, we've, uh, we've been renovating the game room because uh, even though I had established the nicest, cleanest store and, and we had the biggest, best game room for a long time, um, now there's bigger and better game rooms out there. Um, and, uh, so I need to step up my game again. And, and, uh, so we've been renovating the game room, um, making it nicer. Uh, we're, um, figuring out new ways to display the product that we get traded in. Cause I mean, the collections we're getting in secondhand are just ridiculous. I mean, we, we bought three collections just, uh, a couple weeks ago that are enough to fill, like these are RPG collections enough to fill like two full bookcases. Wow. Um, which is great. Cause we, we really go through that stuff when we have a booth at fan expo. Uh, it's kind of a the thing we do there and we're known for it. So the product will move. It's also really awesome and nostalgic for people when they walk in and see all this old stuff. But, 
but yeah, I had to find uh, ways to store this product. Um, there's a Target that just uh, well, Targets are all closing, right? Mm-hmm. They're gone. They're empty. Actually, there's there's no more uh, product, but they they're still open to um, people who want fixtures. And uh, I'd recommend anybody who owns a business right now that needs a new shelf or a new display cabinet or, or whatever, because they are clearing things out dirt cheap. I got a, a perfect mobile um, double-sided shelf unit. That's exactly what I need for the space I need to put all these books that I got. Um, got for a hundred bucks and the thing brand new is like 600. So nice. Uh, got quite a good deal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pro tip, go to target. Yeah, well, well, they're going to be they're they're going to be open for another ten days or so, apparently. Uh, and today is April fourteenth, so I don't know when you're going to air this, but it's, it, it might, might be a bit late for for most people. What? Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. So, um, sorry. So I'm getting a little off off topic here. So future plans. Uh-huh. Uh, the website, definitely mm-hmm. the website. Uh, I have to revamp the entire website. It's uh, it's old. It's outdated. It looks horrible. Um, but because I do everything myself, it's just it's on the back burner, right? Um, there's just so much to do in the business. Uh, I thought about delegating that to my partner. She's really good at making websites. Um, just hard to let go of things, you know. You want to do everything yourself. Mm-hmm. At least I'm kind of like that. Uh, online, a online store, just for uh, web presence and. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, cool. we want to do some more uh, branding, promotional stuff. I installed a, one of the renovations for the game room. I installed a reverse osmosis water filter system, like a really good one. It was a seven dollars $800 job piece of equipment. Um, but I'm really anti-bottled water. I think it's one of the most evil products on this earth and uh, – you know, it takes three bottles of water to create a bottle of water. It's just mm. insane. Yeah, especially, you know, where California is in a drought right now. And anyways, uh, yeah. so, you know, we, we encourage customers to uh, bring water bottles and fill up for free. Nice. Uh, yeah. Um, I want to uh, get some stainless steel water bottles with the Dueling Grounds logo on them. Um We've always had uh, score pads with our, our logo on it that have always been popular. I need to make more of those. Um, yeah, just a little bit more corporate branding. Cool. Uh, something I just, I just – I know I'm just going all over the place here, but uh, I just remembered something else that makes this a little different, uh, our shop. In the old location, uh, we allowed food. We're like cool with food, you know, come on, bring your food, whatever. The only thing I abandoned in the store was McDonald's because they're another terrible corporation. And, and I haven't been eating, I haven't eaten McDonald's in like 15, at least 15 years or so after I read this Fast Food Nation book and mm-hmm. figured out how terrible it was and for so many different reasons. Uh, and, you know, the, the food stinks to me now. Like once you don't eat McDonald's for a while and you smell it, it's like smoking. It's like it doesn't bother you, but when you smell it and you don't smoke. Yeah, it definitely stands out. Food. Yeah, the McDonald's food is pretty stanky. <laughs> uh, so I was like, you know, you bring in food, just no McDonald's. 
Now the new uh, the new location. Uh, now in the old location, I had a back shed. I could throw garbage back there. It wasn't a problem. New location. Uh, don't have a convenient place to throw garbage. Um, so and and people eating food in your store, it creates vast amounts of garbage. Uh, and you have to pay for the removal of garbage. You know, it's like three bucks a bag. And uh, <clears throat> so there's a bit of an expense. Uh, and really it was, I think that's what made the decision was I didn't have a place to store it and uh, I didn't want to pay for it. And so with the new location, I was like, you know what, I'm going to uh, not allow food in the, in the game room. And it was a bit of a controversial decision with uh, some of my customers, but um, I stuck to my guns. And I'm really happy I did because there's people that come to my store because I don't allow food. Because they don't have to sit in the game room and smell someone's nasty food that they're eating that they don't like the smell of. Um, the tables, the, the, the room is so much cleaner. There's no like sticky spots on the tables from, from spilt food or whatever. Uh, now we do allow drinks. Drinks are fine and we actually sell drinks. We actually, we were selling Pepsi Coke products for a really long time. And bottled water, but eventually got rid of the bottled water um, and switched from Coke Pepsi products to uh, this brand called Blue Sky, which is made in Canada. And pop's not good for you. It's got tons of sugar, but this stuff, it's all natural. And we're supporting you know, local Canadian companies, so I feel really good about that. And I think, you know, customers appreciate little things like that. Yeah, solid. Details. Yeah. Living your ideals. Yeah, I'm, That's a, admirable. I'm, a bit, I'm a bit of a hippie, so you know it's nice to have control over certain things like that. Like our toilet paper is recycled toilet paper, <laughs> so the good stuff too. Um, only the best for my customers' bottoms, I say. <laughs> <laughs> you have that on the wall next to your toilet. <laughs> you should. I should. Yeah. <laughs> we care about your bottoms as much as we care about the bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. It's been uh, it's been great talking to you. I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, coming up on an hour and twenty two minutes. So, oh geez, uh, sorry, I'm I'm a bit of a rambler. It's okay. It's totally cool. It was a, yeah. it was great. But uh, yeah. let's uh, let the listeners know where they can find you online and in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our crappy outdated website is at uh, dueling groundscom you can email at us at info at dueling-grounds.com. Uh, and we have a Facebook page that you can like. Our address is 1193 Blur Street West in Toronto. And uh, we're the rear unit. This confuses a lot of people. We're actually mm. just tucked in south of Blur Street because it's a big corner building. So we're in behind a pizza pizza, which is really nice and convenient for the customers to go get a quick bite to eat between games. Yeah, so that's... That's me. And Twitter. Don't forget. Twitter. Um, I don't even remember what it's called. I mean, I'm sure if you search Dueling Grounds, it'll come up. I forget what the exact wording <laughs> is for the, the, the Twitter thing. But uh, yeah. Cool. Well, I'm sure the listeners can figure that out. Yeah, it, it's not hard. All right. Well, thanks a lot for talking to us. Thank I, you. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah. good luck with everything. Thank you very much, and thank you, Tom, for uh, having me and all the hard work you're doing. Um, you're doing everyone a great service. I want you to know that. Thanks. You too. Thanks. Uh, 
I look forward to hopefully visiting the store soon. Yeah, it'd be great to see you. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, you have a, a nice Monday. Hi, it's fairly well. Right. Got to get to work. We're opening in 15 minutes. I think you may be late this morning. Oh, Got to hustle. <laughs> okay. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Wayne. I know I did. I hope uh, hope Wayne got to work on time, but since he's the boss, no one's going to really punish him for it, so whatever. Uh, also, Wayne wanted me to mention that uh, his Twitter handle that he forgot during the show is actually at Dueling, Dueling Grounds. Between Dueling and Grounds is an underscore, so at Dueling underscore Grounds. And uh, as usual, if you want to find out more about Games to Entrepreneurship, if you want to learn how to build a better business, forge a stronger magic community... Head over to maniversaga.com because that's where this whole thing is going down. Yeah, Maniverse Saga is also the home of the Maniverse podcast, so if you want to check out past episodes, that's the place you want to go. Learn from some of the best right here on the Maniverse podcast. With your host, Tom Traplin, as always, it's been great. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next Friday. <laughs> <laughs>